0: That we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. Scriptures basically stand on three platforms. The Hebrew Scriptures are about three essential themes. The first is the theme of the God of Israel, that's what the whole of Scripture is about, the Lord. But when you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, just isolating them for a moment, one of its major themes is the God of Israel. It isn't the God of the universe. It isn't the God of creation. It's the God of Israel. That's why over and over again, He's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's called the Holy One of Israel. He is that one who has chosen a people unique from all the peoples of the earth. And has set his love upon them. And that through Israel, the nations of the world would get to know the one and only true God. But he is presented in the Hebrew Scriptures as Israel's God. And in order to know him, you had to connect with Israel. Very few uh, uh, moments in the Hebrew Scriptures where there's anyone connecting with the God of the universe apart from Israel. Israel. You had to come within the sphere of the Jewish people if you were going to know the true God. That was one of their principal ministries, you might say. What they were to accomplish. What they were chosen for. To be a light to the nations. And as a light... They would draw the tension of the nations from their own false gods to the one true God who is Israel's God. So that's one of the major themes, the God of Israel. A second major theme is the people of Israel. God is concerned with the nations, all peoples, but he chooses one nation through whom to make himself known. So there are various promises that are made to the people of Israel, promises that may impact the nations of the world but have principal relevance to the Jewish people. So our second major theme of the Hebrew Scriptures is the God of Israel and the people of Israel. And the third theme of the Hebrew Scriptures is the land of Israel. These are the three major pillars. That's why to be dispersed from the land was to be outside the parameters of God's activities. It's all happening in the land. The Lord takes His people from Egypt and He brings them to the land. When the people of Israel are disobedient, He casts them from the land. When they are obedient or in His plans, and purposes. He regathers them and brings them back to the land. And when he blesses Israel, he blesses the land along with the people. These are the three major themes of the Hebrew Scriptures. The land, the people, and the God who has chosen them. Now, central to it all, if we had sort of like a Venn diagram, And we had these three concentric circles. And we had one that said the God of Israel, one that said the people of Israel, one that said the land of Israel. In the center where they all hit is the theme of the Messiah of Israel. And the Messiah's role is to bring to fruition all that God had intended for God, for the people, for the land. So it's Messiah who reveals the God of Israel Not only to his own people, but to the nations of the world. He's critical in seeing that Israel's God is made known. But not only is he critical for that purpose, but he's critical to Israel because Israel must be redeemed. Israel is a sinning nation like all other nations. We are a sinful people like all other peoples. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the Messiah is to redeem his people. And that's why so many of the themes in Scripture deals with the redemption of Israel. The major watershed moment is the exodus from Egypt. And what's the exodus from Egypt? The redemption from the land of Egypt. And what did the redemption from the land of Egypt prefigure? The redemption of Israel from their sin and from their waywardness. And so Messiah is the one who would redeem Israel from her sin. He's the one who reveals the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who redeems his people, and he's the one who restores the land. That's why in Isaiah chapter 8, the land of Israel is called Emmanuel's land. It's Messiah's land. And thus when Messiah returns, he does not come to New York City. He doesn't come to Los Angeles. He doesn't come to San Francisco. He doesn't come to Newark, New Jersey. He comes to Israel. And he comes to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's his land. Everything belongs to him. But more importantly and particularly, the land of Israel is Messiah's land. So while these three themes of the land, the people, and the God are the pillar themes of the Scriptures, it is Messiah at the center of it all that brings those three things into its fullest ramifications. He's the revealer of God. He is the redeemer of his people. He is the restorer of the land. Now, I just want to focus on the land, but they're inextricably connected, or it's inextricably connected to the Lord and to the people. So let me take you through a, a survey, and hopefully we can do this in a, as brief amount of time as possible. We'll pass through certain things. We'll look at chapter 12 of Genesis. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram... I'm on page 8 of your Bibles in, the, in your pews. there are in your s- seats. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. We're at the very front end. We're only 12 pe- chapters into the very first book of the Bible. We're just at the very calling of Abraham. And he's not just called to know God, but he's called to go and to go to a particular location, a geographical location that is here called the land that God would show him. He didn't tell him where the land is yet. He's going to show it to him and bring him to it. Now, if you look at chapter twelve, verse five, it then goes on to say, and Abram took Sarah his wife and his nephew Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they set out to go to the land of. Canaan. That's for our Hebrew class. We know it's not Canaan, right? Now we know how to pronounce it. It's Canaan. And so he goes to the land of Canaan. Now we know where the land is. So in verse 1, we know he's going to a land. Now in verse 5, we know he's going to the land of Canaan. And we know the land of Canaan is the land that is currently what we now know as the land of Israel. Look at verse 7. And then it says, the Lord appeared to Abram. And he said to your offspring, your descendants, I will give this land. So this land is the land of Canaan that God showed him. And he's not just giving the land to Abraham, but he's giving the land to Abraham and Abraham's descendants, plural. And so this land does not just belong to Abram so that when he dies, it's no longer his. By the way, Abram only owned one small parcel of land when he died. He only owned a cave, and he only had his wife buried in that cave. That's all he ended up with at the end of his life. He was always looking forward to a time when the land would indeed be his possession, but it wasn't during his lifetime. That means Abraham must be resurrected because he has to come to this land. It's not the land of heaven. It's this land, the land of Canaan, which means he needs to be resurrected and he needs to come to that land and see it possessed by him and his descendants, which he never did during his lifetime. Now, in chapter 13, if you look at verses 4 to 15, and I cut out some of it in the interest of time, but it says, The Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are. And he says, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west, All the land that you see, I will give to you, here it is again, and to your offspring. But one thing is now added. He says, ad olam, forever. That means to say not forever in terms of eternity, but forever as long as the land exists, it is yours. So it will be his and his descendants in the messianic era. It will be his and his descendants in the new heaven and the new earth. But it will belong to him and to his descendants for as long as the land exists, it belongs to Abram. And he says, arise, he tells him, walk through the land, the length of it, the breadth of it, the height of it, the width of it. By the way, Paul uses this expression in Ephesians, doesn't he? That you might know the depth, the height, the breadth, the length of the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua. This is where he gets it from. I mean, that's not to take anything away from Paul. It's only to say, here's where it originates. The land's length and breadth and depth and height belongs to you. That's to say, its totality is yours. For I, I love this, it's emphasized in the Hebrew. I, the Lord, will give it to you. Genesis chapter 15, look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now he's making a covenant with Abraham. That means to say he's binding himself to this promise. And he says, to your offspring, there it is again, his descendants, I will give this land. And if there's any question as to what the this land refers to, he tells us here. He's talking about the river of Egypt. I believe that's a reference to the Wadi of Egypt, known as the Wadi El Arish, which is in the northeastern section of the Sinai Peninsula today. Keep in mind, the entire Sinai Peninsula was given back to Egypt by the Israelis once Egypt signed a peace treaty with the Israelis. And so all of that territory has been returned to the Egyptians. In any case, the Wadi of Egypt, that's my understanding, to the great river, the river Euphrates, that flows north up into certain regions of what is today Syria. So we've got the Wadi El Arish in the south. We've got the Euphrates River in the north. And then he tells us it will also include the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and some other nations that inhabited the region between the Jordan River and the Great Sea or the Mediterranean. Now we know the land of Canaan. We know it's this land that God would give him that he showed him. That it was the land that would be given to his descendants forever. And that it would be a land that is bordered by the Euphrates in the north, the Wadi El Arish in the south, the Jordan in the east, and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. That sounds like Israel to me. Sounds like Israel. But we get more. Look at chapter 17. In verse 8, 1 and 8, the Lord appeared to Abram. And he said, I am El Shaddai. God the Almighty, I will give to you and to your offspring after you. How many times has he reiterated that phrase? I'm giving this to you and to your offspring forever. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. If you look at Genesis chapter 17, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So now we know the descendants that God has in mind Excludes Ishmael. Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham too But he's not given or included in the covenant He just told us My covenant I will establish with Isaac God will bless and has blessed Ishmael But this covenant regarding the land Belongs to Abraham through Isaac Chapter 26 verses 2 to 5 It says And the Lord appeared to Isaac And he said don't go to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Dwell in this land. Sojourn in this land. I will be with you. I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your seed to the stars of heaven and give to your offspring all these lands. So now we know it goes to Abraham and it goes to Isaac and Isaac's descendants. In chapter 28 of Genesis, it says in verse 1, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. Verse 4, He, the Lord, give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now we know that it's not just Isaac's descendant. He had two, Jacob and Esau. So now we know that the promise doesn't go to Esau or to Ishmael, but it goes from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Jacob's sons. Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14. And behold, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land which you are in, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. The Lord says this to Jacob. If you look at chapter 35, God appeared to Jacob again. And he blessed him again. I'm looking at verses 9 and 12. And God said to him, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Jacob's offspring are the 12 tribes of Israel. We haven't even gotten out of the book of Genesis. And we've got like 65 more books to look at. Genesis 48, it says, verses 3 and 4, And Jacob said to Joseph, And God said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, Egypt, to the land that He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. That's why it says in the Brit HaDeshah, the New Covenant Scriptures, in Hebrews eleven, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. It's not just the Hebrew Scriptures. We only look at Genesis. It's also the Brit Hadashah. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. The heirs of the land are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they did not possess it all when they died. That's why he says by faith they continued to pursue it. And by faith they continued to believe it even as they approached their deathbeds. They all knew one day we must be resurrected because God is a God of truth. And if he promised us this land, we must inherit it. But we haven't yet during our lifetime, at least our pre-resurrected lifetime. But we will be resurrected and this will occur. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. They had such faith. They believed all this. Now, we're not really that far into this yet. But let me just share a couple of things from the prophets. Can I do that? It's already 12.30. I mean, if you need to go, you got to go. But here we are in Isaiah chapter 11. We light the candles. We remember the sevenfold promise of the Spirit of God. The fullness of the Spirit rests on Messiah. And then in that same chapter, it says, And he, the Lord, will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Where is he going to gather them to? It says he's going to gather them. Where is he going to gather them to? to Emmanuel's land, about which he spoke in chapter 8. Chapter 14 of Isaiah. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. Remember, this is 750 years before the time of Messiah. This is so many thousands of years, or at least another 800 or so years, after the words of Moses that he wrote in Genesis. We're hundred or 800 years after Genesis, Having been written. And here the promise continues. But remember, Abraham lived 2,500 years before Messiah. That means to say the actual promises were 2,000 years before Isaiah. And Isaiah is reiterating what was written long before. In chapter 27, in that day a great trumpet will be blown. This is what sounds like 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4 a great trumpet will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria, those who were driven out to Egypt will come to worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem in the land. It says in Isaiah 66, at the end of the book of Isaiah, the very last thing he says is, they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord of hosts and in chariots and on mules and on donkeys to my holy mountain. Jerusalem, says the Lord. That's only one prophet, but you know, I started going through each of the prophets, sort of skimming, reading quickly. Jeremiah says, They shall bring, excuse me, Jeremiah 16 says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, As the Lord lives, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord who lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north, out of the south, Everywhere where he's driven them for, I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. That's the beginning of Jeremiah. We could go on. Chapter 30. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, Judah. I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. You could go further, Ezekiel chapter 11. Thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel, verse 17. Ezekiel 20, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 34. I'll bring them out from the peoples, gather them from their countries. We'll bring them into their own land. And then he says, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. It sounds like the real land of Israel to me. The land of Canaan with those perceptible borders. I've skimmed through a bunch of other Ezekiel passages. In chapter 37, you remember the Valley of Dry Bones and Israel coming to life? Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. You can go to the Minor Prophets. Hosea says, the children of Israel shall return to the land. And seek the Lord. You can go to Joel, but Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I'm looking at chapter 3. You can go to Amos the prophet. Chapter 9, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. I will plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them says the Lord your God. You notice all this stuff. It's the God of Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel. Obadiah, but in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. It says in Zephaniah, he, the Lord, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't that kind of Exciting to think God is going to rejoice over his people, not just with a soft ballad, but loud, exuberant singing. God is going to sing loudly. What for? At that time, I will bring you at, the, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. What are the fortunes of Israel? The land of Israel. You can look to Zechariah. That's the last of our minor prophets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east, from the west. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people. I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And can go on. But you know, this Monday, Martin Luther King Day, right? Did you ever hear what Martin Luther King had to say about Israel? I was thinking about, you know, as I remember, oh, it's Martin Luther King. Oh, and I thought, a lot of Jewish people were involved in the marches uh, on Selma and Montgomery. And, uh, well, our very famous Jewish prophet of the 21st century, Bob Dylan, used to play all kinds of music encouraging people to vote, you know, and he was very much involved in uh, seeking to end segregation and to permit the uh, black man to vote. Here's some things Martin Luther King had to say. The whole world, I wish I could say it like him (laughs) though, the whole world must see that Israel must exist and has the right to exist and is one of the great outposts of democracy in the world. He said, peace for Israel means security and we must stand with all our might to protect its right to exist, its territorial integrity. I see Israel as one of the great outposts of democracy in the world and a marvelous example of what can be done, how desert land can be just transformed and an oasis of brotherhood and democracy. Peace for Israel means security, and that security must be a reality. Imagine if he was living today, what he would be saying about what Israel He just talks about the desert blooming. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't even know. This is like, I don't even know where, but before 68, of course. But there hasn't been the technological advances that have occurred within the last five, let alone ten years. Can't imagine what he would have said. Lastly, he said, Israel's right to exist as a state in security is incontestable. And so we have our own nation Abstaining from a vote that opens the door for the nations of the UN to gather together like, you know, a pack of coyotes ready to pounce. And we need to remember, it is not us who defend Israel, but it's the living God who defends his people. We have the opportunity to sort of come alongside. We have the opportunity to pray affirming the Lord to do what he said he would do, fulfill his promises, protect his people, and to bring about the fullness of restoration and redemption and revelation of the true God, not only to Israel, but to the entire world. So as you can see, this isn't a concern of mine, (laughs) and it's a passion of mine, but it's a passion of God's, and it's a passion of his word, and it should be a passion of every believer, that reads God's word and reads it honestly, openly, and very directly. This should be a day of prayer for our ally in the Middle East. It should be a day of prayer that God will show up in a way that we have yet to see. Remember, Zechariah says, Isaiah said, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. And everyone that messes with it will find what a snare it will become. We need to pray for our nation that we would do what is right. And we need to humble ourselves before God. And we need, and we need to lift up His people before Him. So before we receive our offering, let's stand together. I apologize for the lateness of the hour and the inability to get this up for you to see but that's okay. <laughs> Things happen. And, uh, but if you have some place you need to go, I mean, by all means, do go. Uh, I don't want anyone to be late on a, uh, our account. But if you don't have to, then let's just relax, and let's lift our voices to the Lord in one accord for our people, for his people. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we raise our voices humbly before you and with gratitude that you would allow us to come in to your very presence, to honor you, to praise you. We come humbly, but we come boldly. We come not for ourselves, but we come for others. We would pray, Lord, first and foremost, that you, O Lord, will make yourself known in mighty and significant ways. We don't know all the plans and purposes that are on your heart. We have a broad sketch of what will be. But we don't know how the particular moments in our lives, in history, feed into those moments. And So we would not want to presume anything. But we come to you on the basis of your word as we have surveyed it this morning. And we have seen, Lord, how you have made promises, promises that you intend to keep, no doubt. For you are not a man that you would lie, but you are one who is filled with integrity and veracity. And as such, you will do all that you say you will do. So, Lord, you have begun the regathering of your people, and now the first time in our, own, in, all of, in our own lifetime, more Jewish people are regathered into their homeland than are scattered among the nations. And so we pray, Father, that you would fulfill your promises to your people Israel, you would protect them from all harm, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. We pray, Lord, that as this meeting unfolds in France, that you would show up somehow and make a difference in behalf of your people. We would pray, Lord, for our own nation and our own leaders, John Kerry and others that may be representing the United States. We pray somehow you might show up at that meeting and maybe through his voice somehow make the difference that only you can make. We would pray, Father, for your people Israel, that their hope would be drawn more to you. Perhaps these kinds of moments of challenge, perhaps fear, foreboding, whatever kinds of feelings may be surfacing among the Israeli population. We pray, Lord, that you might use all of that to draw their attention away from themselves and unto you. Perhaps this is a wake-up call to remind them that they are not to place their hopes in any nation, but rather their hope is to be in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So Lord, use these moments in significant, supernatural ways to show up. And we would pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in being watchmen upon the walls of Jerusalem, praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for the salvation of your people, praying for the protection of them, and praying that your Spirit would move mightily upon them and all peoples, that we might find Yeshua, Jesus, to be Savior and Lord, as well as King and Master an elder brother. So Lord, we commend all that is to be into your hands. Those of us or those who are truly prayer warriors, I pray you would place this firmly on their hearts and cause them, Lord, to spend significant moments in devoted prayer in behalf of your people and then we would implore you like john even so come lord jesus for peace shall not come until the prince of peace arrives with healing in his wings come lord yeshua come save us spare us reign from the en- over the ends of the earth establish your kingdom your throne in jerusalem and reign from on high We bless your name, we praise you, we glorify you, we exalt you as our Savior and Lord. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers.